maybe got hurt with us. Maybe many of you got hurt by other churches maybe. And I do realize that. And I do understand that emotionally. I do realize that none is, no one is perfect. And, but I do also want to say that sometimes we overreact when it comes to church hurt. And God actually is in the, is in the business, so to speak, to restore the church. 2,000 years, wherever we are now, God is busy restoring the church. That's his heart. He's looking at this world on a Sunday morning, 9 o'clock or wherever, whenever churches meet around the world. And he's like, man, I, I, my heart is for the church to reflect me. That's his heart. And when churches do not reflect him, it actually hurts his heart. It's not pleasing to him. So that's why when there's a call for God cutting away things in our lives, we shouldn't be like, okay, oh, I'm too selfish to do that. It's actually for the bigger picture is so that the, so that the church can better reflect God. That's why we willingly give of ourselves when there's a call for us to lay certain things down, when there's a call to honor God in everything we do. So God is busy restoring the church. And that's why the role of the apostolic is vitally important for every church. Now, for many of us, apostolic is like one of those words, like, whoa, what does that even mean? And God has given certain people to lead us into the health of church so that the church can be restored in great health. There's not one church in the New Testament that we're not connected to an apostolic team and with that apostolic team building into them. And nowadays, you know, it's quite a foreign thing for, for people to submit to other leaders. It's a foreign thing for people to submit to one another. So I'd rather just do my own thing with no accountability, no real relationship building into you. Because how many of you know that you can be led astray quickly? Quickly. The Bible says our hearts are the most deceitful thing above all. And I want to say that if churches are not connected to an apostolic team that builds into them, I can almost guarantee you that that church is part of why the church needs to be restored. And I mean, we're not perfect, and that's why we still need the apostolic to come in often. Hey, you guys in bloom. You guys are just drifting towards this side, maybe just correct this, correct that. Often when people come, it's not to have a, a guest speaker bringing their best preach. It's actually they're coming to supply what is lacking to our faith so that we as a congregation can reflect God like the early church did. That's why we're acting as our church. So God is cutting away things because the church is not a building. A church is made of us individuals coming with different backgrounds, coming with brokenness, coming with insecurities. We are the church. If you're looking to join a perfect church, don't join this one. Because we're not. We're not perfect. But man, surely there should be enough health in us that can reflect something of God and giving of ourselves so that God can restore us. Don't lose hope in the church. God is restoring us. And we are his church, so it's, we are, he's restoring us. He's not re restoring a building, he's restoring us. We are the church. So if you're here in this church, if you are planted in this, in this church, man, give yourself to be restored by God. If you're not part of this church and you're part of another church, give yourself there to be restored by God. God wants to 
Holy Spirit. All right. So there's two things that I want to mention this morning that I think will help us to really better reflect God. And some of it, God might, be, might, might, might come and actually cut away certain strings in your life. But if we apply these two things, I believe that we will better reflect God better. So the first thing, as individuals and as a church, is not to compromise on small things. Not to compromise on small things. If you look at church history, I believe it started to, to drift when people allowed to compromise on small things. The early church started, it was beautiful, and then just people started to do their own thing. We compromised a little bit here, a little bit there, and a few thousand years later, the church is where it is because of little compromise. You know, one of, I, I'm going to be vulnerable this morning. I've got a fear of spiders. Ask my wife. We were away recently, and there was this massive spider. And usually you over-exaggerate when you tell people how big that thing was. But I, I, I don't want to exaggerate, but that thing was like as big as my hand. It was a big spider, all right? That thing could eat you alive. And we both looked at it and like, no, and she was like, no, you the husband in the, in, in, in the, in the marriage. And I'm like, all right, but you should submit to me. And we had this battle on who's taking the spider. And that thing kind of overshadowed all my emotions, man. It was just like, I don't want to get near that thing. We're not going to explain what happened after that. You can come and have coffee with us. We didn't explode the house, just disclaimer. And when you see a big spider like that, everyone is almost like, what do I do with that? And some of you are like, no, no, I, I, don't, I don't do that. I'm, I'm a real man. Well, please come and teach me your ways. But most of us go like, it's a big spider. But let's say there's this little tiny spider walking around in his room. No one will even recognize it, right? <laughs> there's not, I believe. There's no spiders in this room. But let's say there is, like this tiny little spider. Most of us will, will go like, okay, that's not too bad. We can handle that. You know, It's not too bad. And almost you ignore it because you know it's not going to hurt you. And you know, the spider will find its way out, I'm sure. But the thing is, if you leave that thing and you let that thing grow, it becomes this big spider. This big spider started... I don't know how, how many years before that, like this little spider. And in our lives, when we leave the little spiders, we just compromise on the small things. That thing will grow big and big so that we actually get frightened by our sin, by the compromises of our life. So we need to watch out for the small compromises in our lives. Watch out for them. Not just the big ones. Not just the moments. The small ones. Watch out for those small compromises. Because if you leave that small compromise, if you leave that small spider, who knows? It might turn out like a dinosaur or something. You don't know. So don't leave it. Pay careful attention to it. And I want to say that one small compromise will lead to another. One small compromise will lead to another. In James, you, you read that sin gives birth to sin. 
and that gives birth to death. It's quite, it's quite a heavy, right? But if you do one sin without repent, and you don't repent of it, guess what happens next? More sin. And if you don't repent of that, guess what happens next? More sin. And the next moment you've got this big spider in your room, you don't know what to do with it. Sin will, will give birth to sin. And if you keep on doing that, it gives birth to death, the Bible says in James 1. No sin, no matter how small, is pleasing to God. Man, and I, and I do believe that's part of why the church is broken. Because of sin creeping in and not being dealt with properly. And if you, if you, and I've been there, and if you have to justify and explain why it's not that bad, that's compromising. And I, I've been there. And if you, sit, if you do something and you try to explain to someone and you're trying to justify why, and you're trying to find a way out, and we don't want to be those that, that compromise. And I believe that the devil, if he can get us at a place where we only repent of the big compromises, he has us. If he gets us to a place where we only focus on the big sin, so to speak, and not the small things, he has us. Because the, the way I know my God is that he does not take pleasure even in the littlest of things of sin. So what the devil wants to come and do is, you know, just repent of the big things. Just repent of the big things. Don't worry about the small things. What happens is we continue our lives with sin that's unrepented of. And sin leads to to sin. And leads to more sin and more sin and we, uh, until we are spiritually dead. Even this week, I was chatting to a friend, and um, he came to me. He's like, man, I just want to repent of something that happened when I was six. He's not six anymore, but close. And I was like, man, this is beautiful. He's teaching me so much in this very moment. No matter how small it might seem, no matter when it happens, if you have a conscience, conscience that's sensitive to God and sensitive to that when the Holy Spirit speaks, you need to listen. You have to be those with a clear conscience before God. You know, often we think, no, if I sin now, I'm just going to let time pass and after a while my conscience will be clear. Right? No, it doesn't work like that. Time doesn't heal your conscience. Repenting does. When we bring our sins, when we bring our faults before God, He clears our conscience. He forgives us of our sin and our unrighteousness because He is the righteous one. So just to make my point, who of you have spent time with God and you like, man, this is amazing. And then you skip like a week. Of quiet time. You know, life happens, you know. It's just life happens, work, study, family, kids, whatever. Life happens and you just miss a week of quiet times. I mean, it's not like you are walking away from the faith. It's like, man, I just had a busy week. And I mean, I still love God. I still love His church. I still love Him. But what happens when we allow small compromises in our lives? In my experience, when I skip like a week or two, I started to realize that his voice is disappearing. 
You know, if you've experienced that, it's like, God, where are you? I need to fall a bit more. I don't know what that has done. I want to get back to God again. But it's like, I, I, it almost feels like I'm too far and like, okay, well, how do I get back to that place? And you feel God's voice disappeared in your life. And you, then you start to think, man, if Sunday's really so important, why are the elders going on about not neglecting the gathering of the saints? Why are my community leaders checking up on, hey, where were you and missing you? Then you start to think like that. You start to think like, nah, man, if Formula One doesn't come, luckily we're an AM church. But what if we plant a PM and it's smack bang in the middle of Formula One? Will compromises set in, or will there be a pure devotion to the gathering? And let me tell you, a backsliding as a Christian starts with one missed Sunday. We don't want to be those that allow small compromises. I want to share a dream with you that I had a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh, it's one of those spider moments, you know, but in a dream. And uh, it's quite vivid. So, I mean, all the kids out, great. But I do feel there's something prophetic that I believe God wants to cover through this dream. And so we were having a bride as a church and everyone could go, amen. There we go. We were having a bride as a church, and, you know, as we always do, we stand next to the fire and, you know, chatting about, I don't know, whatever, and there's, the, you know, the flames, and we're busy just preparing for the bride and preparing for the meat to be bride. And um, there, there came a, a time where, okay, I think the fires are ready to put on the meat. And so we, we got, we got the, I don't know, for some reason, someone had patties. Um, at the bride, no, no worries. We can, you know, there's space for us in this church to bride patties. Um, it, it is actually better flame grilled, but anyway, I'm trying to recover now what I've just said. But we were brying, and we were brying patties, and um, there, there was a little cockroach on this patty. All right, can I, can I just make it better? No one saw it. No one saw the cockroach on this patty. I mean, if, if you anything anything like me, I love burgers. And so when I'm brying a patty, I don't want a cockroach on my patty. And I know, you know, people would say, you know, tomatoes and lettuce on burgers. and But I don't see cockroaches, you know, as one of the options. And so there was this little cockroach, and you can almost see it as a picture of what I just explained about the little spider. That size. And it almost blended in into the color of the patty. So no one, no one saw it. Everyone was doing their thing, chatting about whatever, and no one saw this cockroach on this patty. And so later on, after you know, brying it, the meat was ready. And this cockroach actually grew. Sorry, it's very vivid. But I do feel God right now. It grew that it overshadowed the patty. It wasn't obvious that it's a cockroach. It, it was like, it, it blended in so well. You looked at the patty and it's like, oh, this is nice. And you, you just keep on brying it. No one saw what was happening, that that thing overshadowed the whole patty. And I believe God wants to tell us that do not let sin blend in into your life. No matter how big, no matter how small that cockroach is, I don't want it on my burger. 
and I feel like God has revealed something on his heart to me. I don't want any sin in your family. No matter how small, no matter if you say the right things and you blend in, God wants it to be right, 100% your heart. Can we be guys that are ruthless with sin, that do not tolerate the small things in our lives? And I want to finish my first point. It's only two, so we're almost halfway. Of not compromising the small things. It's a long scripture in Colossians 1. No, sorry. Colossians 3, verses. Can you guys see there on the board? Colossians 3, verse 1 to 15. Just follow with me. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Hey, how beautiful is that? Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death. Kill that cockroach. Put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he gives a whole list of it. Sexual immorality, impurity. So he's naming cockroaches now. All right. Put to death these things. Lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Can I tell you, I lived a life like this. So this isn't like, okay, there's, you know, they're only speaking to those guys in the choir. I lived this type of life that he just mentioned. And I had to surrender my life to Jesus and then put those things to death. And I know sometimes it's a journey, but it starts with surrendering our lives to him. Because we, our lives, we, we've died now. It's, we are in Christ now as Christians. So we can't live like that anymore. So we can't blend in with the world anymore. And then he goes on, verse 8, But now you must rid yourself of all such things, such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not, li do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, I don't know how you say that, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Verse 12, therefore, the good part, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness. Now he's telling us how the practice should look like. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. That's like the barbecue sauce and the ketchup. We should put on love as Christians, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, 
and be thankful. In such a case, we have to compromise, not to blend in, but to be this holy people set apart for him, living lives that reflect him. Amen? The second point that I want to make that I believe will help us in the way we can reflect God as a church is to live a life poured out. To live a life poured out. Recently, I felt God was speaking to me, and I, I shared it uh, with uh, some of the leaders. You know, when God called me years ago to follow Him, I was completely in. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to go and, you know, even pray about it. When God called me, I was in. It was almost a moment where He called the disciples. And the Bible says immediately they left what they were doing and followed him. And I had a very similar experience, at least that's how it felt like, where God called and there was an immediately in my heart and I followed. So I followed him. My life was poured out. You can ask those close to me that know my story. I was, I was busy studying and I felt a clear call from God and I kind of just, I, I do not advise this for everyone. Please journey it out with your leaders. <laughs> but when God called me in the middle of my studies, studies, I was in. I left everything that God said you should leave. And I was, Lord, whatever it takes, I follow you. And I followed him. I followed him. It was difficult. I had to leave friends behind. I actually had to leave family behind. Just following him radically. My life was poured out. And as, as it went along after years of following him, we had the privilege of planting two churches, one in Wellington and this second one here in Bloom. And it's obvious that life happens, right? Life happens. Tough moments happen. Hurtful moments happen. Things happen in church. Sometimes, man, people just hurt one another because none of us are perfect. And because of all or some of these experiences, I started to preserve my heart. Now, I need to remember I was once like all in, like I'm in, I'm poured out to you, Lord. And then suddenly, just subtly, actually, I realized I'm, I think I'm preserving my heart. So what, is, what does that look like? I was 99% devoted. I prayed, I gave perspective, I loved people. But I just kept my heart close to my chest. Just close enough that let's say I get hurt again, then I kind of, it does, it's not that bad the second time. Because my heart is close to my chest. Now I started to preserve myself. And then one morning, it wasn't like an evil thing, like I'm deceiving you guys here from the front type of thing. I, I was genuinely and I just each wanted to be in a church and really just gave my everything. But then this one morning, God said to me, you're preserving your heart. You're preserving my heart, your, your heart. And he said to me, I did not help back my heart from you. I just had this moment. It's difficult to explain. I just had a moment where I just realized, I just stared at his face. We were singing a song. Oh, man, we're staring at his face or whatever it goes like. But I was just looking at his face and Lord revealed this thing in my heart to me to me of saying, I didn't help back my heart for you. And 
just like, oh, I get it. Imagine Jesus gave 99% of his heart. Imagine Jesus gave 99% of his life. I mean, it would still be good enough for all of us, but I mean, he gave his life on the cross for me and you. He gave it all. He didn't preserve his life. He didn't preserve his life. He didn't pick up his life. He gave it willingly. And as a Christian, there's no place for self-preservation. There's no place for preserving your heart. You give it. You give your life. That's what Jesus did for us. And I want to say publicly to all of you this morning, my life is poured out for you, for Jesus. And I want to say I love you. Many of you I don't know, maybe you're visitors, I still love you too. But my heart is to love each one of you that God has saved. My heart, my heart is poured out. My life is Jesus, is in His hands. I don't want to pick up my life. And I want to ask us, as Josh Ten Bloom, can you do the same? Can you do the same to pour out your lives for His kingdom? Can you do the same and not picking up your life, but pouring it out for His glory? If someone hurts you, forgive. We just read that scripture. Forgive quickly. Forgive. Move on. Someone's going to hurt you again. Guaranteed. But we should be those that do not keep our hearts close to our chest but to actually put it on the altar, put it on the table and say, it's yours. Can I say this? Jesus gave his heart. Jesus gave his life knowing that some might not choose him. But he still did it. He still did it. That's perfect love, isn't it? That's a life poured out. Yeah. Jesus is calling us to that. In Matthew 16, verse 25. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, for Jesus, for his kingdom, will find it. And I realized there was a moment in me where I wanted to save my life. There was a moment where I was like, it's not, it's not, it's not lack it to be treated unfairly, right? It's not lack it to be treated hurtfully. And I don't want to play the victim in this mentality thing, but... It's natural that people can walk over us, and then we want to save our lives. But Jesus says, do not pick up your life. Do not pick up your life. Do not try and save your life. You'll end up losing it. But if you lose yourself for my sake, for Jesus' sake, if you live out purely for his kingdom, purely to advance his kingdom, if you live out the life poured out, then you'll find life. Then you will find life. How will that look? I don't know. You might be persecuted. So it's not a guarantee that everything will go right. But it's a life poured out for His kingdom. That's what, that's what Jesus is looking for in His church. So is there anything in us that keeps us from pouring our lives out for Jesus and for one another? Is there anything in us? Just be real. Just, just, is there anything in you? anything in us that keeps us from pouring your life out for it sometimes is for Jesus right but he calls us to do that for one another is there anything in you that keeps you from pouring your life out for one another just look to the person on your right and say I'm pouring my life out for you <laughs> turn to the person on your left and say, say I'm pouring my life out for you 
<laughs> Come on. Is there anything in us that wants to protect ourselves? Is there anything that wants, us, wants to preserve it? And I want to say this morning that flesh wants to protect itself. If there's a feeling of I want to protect an area of my life, there's flesh. And flesh doesn't choose God. And this is what we do, it's full of the Spirit. If we have an idol in our life, that thing, if you don't want to give up, if you want to justify why I shouldn't give something up, that's the flesh. The flesh will protect itself. That self-preservation will kick in at some stage. Just live an open life. So how will I know if there's any flesh in me? Are you guys still all right? Come on. Hang with me. Can I give you a scenario quickly that I want you to answer in your heart? If I give you the option this morning, each one of you, the joints, us, if I give you the option this morning, you can either have Jesus coming to get you right now, like within the next 10 seconds, you can quickly just, Lord, forgive all my sins, you know, that moment. We all have thoughts, you know, when I know Jesus is coming, I just want to quickly repent of everything. If I give you the option, Jesus can come and get you right now. Let's make it three seconds so you don't have time to say amen. If I give you the option one, behind this box, Jesus can come to you right now. And then option two, Jesus can come and collect you now, now. Just, just give me that 10 minutes. Just give me that two, two years. Which option will you take? And I mean, theoretically, all of us will say, no, of course. Of course, box one. I mean, we all know what the Sunday school answer is here. It's not a difficult thing. But in our hearts, what would you really say? Is there something that you still want to achieve quickly before Jesus comes back? Is there something, man, I, I really want Jesus to come back, but I really just want to get married one day. Lord, just, just, just go to Australia first and then to us. I really want to get married first and then you can go. I love you, Lord. I'm devoted, but let me just get married first. Lord, I really want to see my kids grow up before you come back. Lord, just maybe America second, you know, and then to, to South Africa. I just really want to see my kids grow up. I really just want to finish my studies. Do you know how hard I've worked? Oh, yeah, don't give me that option, man. I'm in the middle of my exams. I really just want to achieve my, my thing, whatever it is. I really just want to build my career. I just want to build enough wealth for my family. What is it that you still want to do before Jesus comes back? That, my friends, might be an idol. That might be something that you don't want to give up. If we have hearts of glory, you can come now. And I mean, it's easy to say this, guys. We all have dreams and desires. We all have things that we want to work for and go for. And those things aren't bad. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Those things are not bad. We need to work hard at those things. Be faithful with those things. But keep it lightly that Jesus can come back any moment. Any moment. You can walk out here this morning and you don't know what's going to happen. And if you don't know the Lord this morning, you need to get your, your thing right with, with Him. You don't know what's coming. Like Enrico was sharing, don't, do not be concerned about tomorrow. 
man, this is today. Live today, in this moment, flat out for Him. I know what it's like to be a student, man. I know what it's like. But live flat out for Him. Live flat out for Him. A life poured out. Anything in us that wants Jesus to delay His return is an idol. Second Timothy four, let's read it. Verse six to eight. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Verse eight. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Man, there should be an excitement in our hearts for Christ to return. We live our lives poured out for him. We want to finish this race well. We want to keep the faith in him. We don't want Jesus to, re- to delay his return, man. We want him to come now. And I know it's a journey, and I know it's not as easy as just saying it, but our lives should follow and our hearts should follow in saying, Lord, come back, Lord. Come and fetch us, Lord. Because on that day, we will receive a crown of righteousness. How will that look? I have no idea. I don't know. But I know know the one that's giving it to us. The righteous judge. The one that's going to hand out rewards for those that kept the faith. For those who finished the race. For those that the Lord came back for. And then there will be those that that didn't finish the race, that never even started. And they will be judged accordingly. And that's on what Jesus wants to do. But I want to be on the right side of this race, to be honest. I want to be those that finish as well, that keep the faith, that do not back out when it gets difficult. I want to be those that's poured out for him, that's poured out. Until he he comes back. Are you pouring out currently? And I want to finish off with a story of Jesus and his parents. Did you know Jesus had parents? Did you know that? It's mind-boggling, eh? Every year, there 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 was a festival called Passover. And so, on a yearly basis... They all went to this place for this festival, and Jesus' parents were on on their way to this festival, and they took Jesus along. He was 12 years old. Can you imagine a 12-year-old Jesus? I mean, that should have been, like, so weird, you know? It's like, we know Jesus as this 30-year-old type of, you know, figure. But imagine Jesus as a 12-year-old, you know, walking with his parents, to this festival because they said, listen, we're going to this festival this weekend and we're coming with. And Jesus goes along and there should have been thousands of people. And so a good chance that Jesus might get lost in the crowd. And and exactly that happened. Where the festival was finished and his parents were on their way back home. And they realized after a while, listen, uh, our little 12-year-old, is missing. And those of you who are parents, I mean, I'm about to become a parent in a few months, 
I'm sure if you, oh, thanks, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure if you're in a shopping mall and your kid gets lost, there's that moment where one minute feels like 10 minutes, you know, and I was that kid actually, <laughs> you know, it's like you get lost and you know, it's like just overwhelmed by this, all these people and you don't know where your parents are and the parents do not know where the kid is and so it's almost like this confusing chaos and that's exactly what the, uh, Jesus' parents experienced. They were astonished. They were almost confused. What's happening? And they were anxious on, in this very moment. And so they went back to the festival just trying to look for him. Right? Took them three days. Imagine being lost for three days and you're the parent. I mean, I'm sure there, there, there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. And so they went back and found Jesus at the temple, God's house. That's where Jesus was, at God's house. Not with any fear, not, where's my parents? It's three days already. No, where's my parents? There's so much peace that you can see God's father's house. That's where he is. And so his parents rock up, anxious. And I want to pick up on that story in Luke 2, verse 49, where Jesus says to his parents, Why? Were you searching for me? Almost like, why not? You know what I mean? You've been lost for three days. And he's like, kind of, why were you searching for me? Imagine that moment. And he was like, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know that? And almost uh, just looking at this picture of being the parents, you know, with the tail between your legs. All right, I understand. Thank you, little 12-year-old Jesus, for correcting me as your parent. I, I'm like, no, you're coming with me back home. But his heart's desire was different. He had a life poured out from a young age already. He had a life consumed by his father's house. The zeal for his father's house actually consumed him. All he thought about was like, man, my God, these people, those that are lost. And then years later, he died for us on the cross. Life poured out. So where will we find you if we go missing? Where will we find you? If you get lost right now, where will, where will we find you? And I'm, I'm honest, you'll probably find me on my bicycle somewhere. <laughs> and I need to watch out that this thing doesn't become an idol in my life. I need to watch out that this thing doesn't create a moment where I want Jesus in the center of my life. So where will we find you? Where will we find you being consumed with this house? Where will we find you being consumed with these people? Will we find you at a place where you're consumed with Him, with His presence? No matter how hard you work, no matter how big your business is, even in that, will we find you at your work being consumed with Him? And I'm not saying just waste your time sitting somewhere. You need to work. The Bible says if you do not work, you do not eat. So you need to work hard, faithfully. But your heart's posture, where will we find you? Will we find you being consumed with Him? And his house. Does your life reflect him? Does the people around you know where, where, where you will find him? Does your speech reflect him? Come on, 
people is doing for Jesus. The people poured out for his need, poured out for his people.